Recording this week amongst a uh, creaking ship. Welcome to Hand of Pod. Now that I've made that joke, that the um, that there's not much wind today. It was very windy last night. I think it's going to be very windy tonight, and it just seems to be picking up a little bit. Um, and yeah, the the windows, the front windows, would would at least on the microphone, I could hear them audibly creaking just before we started to record. Um, so it felt a bit like we were on a boat together with the banging of the doors in the lift shaft because the, the uh, doorman is obviously taking the bins out at the moment. Um, I'm Sam Kelly. You're listening to episode 274 of Hand of Pod, and I'm joined for it by Andres Bruckner. Welcome, Andres. Hello, Sam. Yes, there is like some uh, like a vibration because of the traffic, perhaps, and the wind, of course. Um, and I think that, as always, or as almost always, that I come here to record, there will be some rain last night um, after after we record, um, or at, at, at night, I think. Yeah, we might get there lucky. That's very nice. No, no, it's clear, but uh, well, uh, weather report says that uh, that there will be uh, 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 at least a, a, a short rain, and I think that because of the wind, it indicates that there will be. There's, there's a, at the moment, there are very nice pink clouds, sort of sashaying across a, yeah. a light blue sky. It's not like looking at a, a massive Arsenal this R&D shirt, only somewhat prettier no. and without any sponsors. Um, well, it's more likely like, like Palermo or, or the former Boca uh, alternative T-shirt, the polemic role. Uh, oh, the, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it is. It's that kind of shade. It's it's quite nice to sit in your living room and look out. I have to say, uh, I'm going to start the podcast this week with a very brief request. I don't normally do this, but um, you will have heard if you listened to last week's episode. Perhaps a, a passing mention towards the end that I don't know whether Hand of Pop will be going for another seven years because last week's episode was our seventh anniversary episode. Um, that was sort of half in jest. I, I don't really expect it to be going in seven years' time, but that's yes. fine because that would have been 14 years in total and I certainly wouldn't have been planning that when we started it out. Um, but there's also a, a semi-serious side of it, which is that I know that we won't be going for seven years if nobody is making any money out of Hand of Pod, because I'm starting to get a bit fed up of that at the moment myself. Um, I want to continue to offer the podcast for free. I don't want to do so whilst uh, being subject to editorial um, uh, strictures of, of length or lack of swearing or anything. I mean, we, we try not to swear too profusely, but I wouldn't want anybody telling us that we absolutely can't do it on, on air if we don't feel like it. Um, and, and of topics and all that kind of thing. There, there are some of the things that we talk about, indeed, are going to be mentioning today, which um, in the past I've had articles very strictly edited in certain websites when the lawyers have um, not liked the look of it, particularly covering bad rubber hours and so on. Um, and we don't want to have anything to do with those if we can avoid it. So I'm appealing to you listeners, if you know of any way that we could try to get funding. We don't have really enough listeners to 
make it worthwhile for most sponsors. But if you know of sponsors who are looking for a smallish podcast, if you know of a way that we can try to get more listeners on board and, and reach a point where we can go for this, something like a, a sports podcasting network. I am, of course, checking this myself on Google, but, you know, crowdsourcing yeah. is the best way to do these things at times. Um, or if you or other listeners of Hand of Pod that you know of would be willing to support us if we were to, say, set up a Patreon um, website or, or something similar, um, then, you know, please let me know on Twitter or, or by email or the contact form on the Hand of Pod blog at handofpod.wordpress.com. Um, because it's not something that I'm sort of going to be rushing on with. I'm not going to say it like, oh, if, if we're not bringing money in in six months' time, then bollocks to it, I'm going to stop doing it. Um, but it would be quite nice to at least, from my point of view, to be able to take a little bit of cash for the um, production work and, and uploading of the podcast, which with my internet sometimes takes quite a bloody long time out of yes. the following afternoon, um, and also to be able to stick a few pesos into the hands of the gentlemen who come to record with me each week most obviously of course Andres who comes very regularly indeed um, that's it, that's over now that, that's the uh, only appeal that you'll get for, for now you won't hear any adverts later because we don't have anybody to advertise yet but if you know of anybody, please get in touch um, yes, I will now remarkable how you, you never mentioned the, the, the brand or the, of, the, of the Fornet we are, we are drinking Uh, that will be a, a sponsorship, some kind of sponsorship. And you they they were approached about sponsoring yeah. it, as were, in fact, actually the brand that we now drink um, were approached about sponsoring it and expressed an interest in sponsoring us, and then they changed their PR person, who was the person who'd expressed the interest, and it didn't happen. Um, yeah. But well. they, they very nearly, at one point about five years ago, um, they almost ended up actually being Handapod sponsors, which would have been quite funny. Um, It would also have been better for them because I've got about 10 times the number of Twitter followers than they've got. But anyway, okay. uh, the results from last weekend now, we will get on to the Superliga. Um, they were as follows. Argentinos Juniors lost 1-0 at home to Colón de Santa Fe. Atletico Tucumán and Arsenal drew 0-0 in Tucumán. In Rosario, Belgrano got a 1-0 win away to Newell's Old Boys. On Saturday, Defensa y Justicia beat Lanusa's reserves and children 3-0 in Florencio Barrela. Banfield and Tempele drew 0-0 in... I get, uh, those are actually two pretty local derbies. I mean, I realise they're not the derby yes. because the derby for both is, is Lanus-Banfield, of course. But um, Defensa y Justicia, Lanus and Banfield, Tempele are both not particularly long trips for the away teams uh, anyway sorry I interrupted myself there Banfield de Tempele drew 0-0 San Martin de San Juan and San Lorenzo the Clásico de los Santos uh, finished 3-1 to the away side San Lorenzo Independiente beat River Plate 1-0 to continue River's misery and to stretch their run of league games without a win to six three draws and three defeats we will get on to uh, how that ended a little in a minute Union and Chacarita Juniors drew 0-0 in Santa Fe. Tigre beat Estudiantes 2-0. Which, given how crap Tigre have looked so far this season, is quite something. Boca Juniors, their 100% start to the Superliga season, came to an end with a 2-1 defeat at home to Racing. Tacheres lost at home as well, 1-0 to Rosario Central, who had a caretaker manager in charge, Leonardo Fernandez, because um, we forgot to mention last week, I think, that Paulo Montero following the exit um, in the Copa Argentina at the hands of Atletico Tucumán was either no I think he stood down and he, he, he resigned himself he wasn't sacked um, and then on Monday Gimnasia beat Patronato 2-0 in La Plata 
Olimpo and Godoy Cruz drew 1-1 in Bahia Blanca and Huracan beat Vélez Salzfield 1-0 in Parque Patricios. And on Wednesday, that very poor run for River of six league games without a win came to an end because um, there are two games in midweek in the Superliga. The World Trade Organization, very big body indeed, considering I was completely unaware of this until yesterday, um, are having a conference in Buenos Aires in two weeks' time and the security forces have requested that two games from round 12 be brought forward so they don't have to police the WTO and these two matches um, at at the same time in the same city, the city of Buenos Aires security forces of course, and those games were River versus Union which was played on Wednesday and ended in a 2-0 win for River, meaning that Union didn't go second, they are still stuck in third on goal difference behind San Lorenzo Um, and the other one is Vélez Salzfield versus Godoy Cruz which has just reached half time as we're recording now on Thursday evening um, and ended 0-0. There was of course well, there are two other big matches involving Argentine clubs in midweek, one of which is the reason that we're recording on Thursday instead of Wednesday. Those were the first leg of the Copa Sudamericana semi-final on Tuesday night between Libertad and Independiente in Asuncion. Libertad got a 1-0 win. It was a match which I was preparing to watch and managed to completely forget about when the evening actually began, so I didn't watch it. And I then remembered about an hour probably after it ended my, my girlfriend went off to sleep and I came through to the living room as I normally do uh, got a book out or, or opened up Twitter or something and saw the this, this score and thought oh yeah I was going to watch that match <laughs> whoops um, and then a match which fortunately I did remember was on um, last night overlapping for, with the last 20 minutes of River Union almost as if the schedulers had wanted to troll River about what they could have yes. been involved in um, was Gremio versus Lanús in the uh, city of the happy port, Porto Alegre. Um, it ended 1-0 to Gremio. It was a very dull game. We will talk about that in a bit more depth in a few minutes' time. But first of all, Superliga round nine. What did you make of it, Andres? Well, there, there are certain things, or there are uh, a pair of things that I think that are clearly more, more important than the other ones. One of them is the serious, very serious injury injury mm. that Dio Benedetto suffered uh, in the de- defeat that Boca well, suffered uh, to Racing. Of course, it's two bitter news for Boca. One was the defeat, which is at this point bitter or, or, or not good news or well, bad news, but not that bad as the, the injury of, the, of, the, of their most important player absolutely yeah considering uh, that Boca are still I should have brought that I always forget to bring the table four points so are six points ahead of uh, the seconds which are um, San Lorenzo I think yes yes thank you so six points clear um, considering that no hang on well, they, they were seven uh, I'm going to get the table up because they were seven clear weren't they last week oh but that wasn't of San Lorenzo of course San Lorenzo and yeah right I see what you've done there, of course. So, yeah, Boca are still six points clear. So, in those terms, obviously, the defeat hurts. But as you say, it's not as serious as Benedetto's injury, which is a major problem for them. Um, Walter Bowl replaced him. It was fairly late on in the game. Uh, he went down under a challenge in the box. It was not a foul. It didn't sort of look like coming to much, but it was very apparent um, he that he was in his, a lot of pain. Uh, his crucial ligaments. Yes, yeah, crucial ligaments. Um, and yes. Yeah, he's, he's torn them, so he's going to be out for six to eight months, which also affects the national team, potentially, because uh, 
mean, I've I've expressed the opinion a few times in recent weeks that I'm not sure that he necessarily deserves to be the the starting number nine. Um, or necessarily even competing for that role but the fact is that with Jorge Sampaoli judge he was doing and now that that is almost certainly going to have to be but even so he will be ready if in case of in case uh, Sampaoli still uh, is interested in him in in his uh, appearance in in in, in his call up he will be ready to to play or to to at least uh, try to play some football just before the the World Cup starts yeah given that he's not Lionel Messi Yeah. It would be, it would seem unlikely that that he'd be worth taking the risk on um, when you know Argentina have other centre forwards who they can call up, and also particularly when you bear in mind that as I think we've established now, Sergio Aguero, assuming he remains fit, of course, which isn't necessarily a guarantee, um, is going to be the top, the first number nine. But, But it's surprising how um, they have Boca. I mean, they have two. Injuries, injured players, and they they had a similar, very similar injury. I, I don't remember exactly what Gago had uh, mm. playing for the national team, but I think it's similar. Yeah, a, a long time uh, recovery from that from his injury. Yeah, he was. Uh, I, I think I saw on Twitter as well because uh, Sebastian Perez was the other one. So it's the third serious yeah. injury that Boca have had this year that's really disrupted their 2017. Um, And given the form that Benedetto has been in and leading the line in what certainly in the in the first half of the year um, was was a, a, a team largely based on counter attack and and on very clinically finishing a large number of the chances they created, um, it, it, it's probably the biggest loss of the lot for them. Although well, no. maybe one that Boca, given the way they've been, they've started this season, can, they can probably afford to soak it up a little bit better now than they could have done, say, nine months ago. Um, yes. But still, but right now there there are numbers that they talk themselves. He has scored nine goals, and the the, the second goal scorer of the Superliga has five, mm. has five. I I, I say has because yeah. I assume that he won't play again for this tournament. Uh, the, the the joint second scorers, in fact, Benedetto's got eight according to. Um, no, but he's well according uh, to Promedios, he has nine. But, yeah. Uh, Um, but the, mm-hmm. the joint second scorers are both Defensa Justicia players, oh. uh, which is a massive ringing endorsement yes. of Defensa Justicia's style of play, I think. Um, they've both got five goals, Fernando Marquez and Nicolás Fernández. Um, I had not noticed that. Owen José Sand is level with them on five, as is Franco Soldano of Unión. Um, two veterans there, both, I think they're 75, 76 years old between them. Um, but yeah, moving back to Boca, the match as a whole... Um, I was very impressed with Racing. It, it was a kind of a weird one because Boca completely dominated possession. They had comfortably more shots, but they were really not comfortable. Yeah. I can I can think of a couple of, of you know really decent saves that um, Racing's goalkeeper Juan Musso had to make, but nothing that was sort of like absolutely clear cut and, and, and uh, Boca you know it, it wasn't like oh Rassing of, uh, it's a real smash and grab here I thought it was by a distance Rassing's best performance wasn't the massive, massive domain by uh, I mean yeah. uh, clear from Boca as, as it had been this the follow the, the previous eight mm. Uh, and given that we've spent I mean when English Dan was on a couple of weeks ago and then last week as well we discussed you and I how Racing have looked bizarrely directionless under Diego Coca. We've said it a fair bit this season. Um, you know, fair play to them the other day for getting a, a deserved, I thought, 
2-1 win away to a team who yes, had opened uh, the season they, with eight straight wins. I think that they were smart at trying to play a rocky game, not a, a, a very fluent one, but uh, making it more post, more like, uh, of course, not dirty, but I mean, in in an aggressive, but in a good, in a good sense. Mm. I mean, not try, not 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 letting Boca play comfortably, not uh, well, uh, yes, running a lot, trying to mark very very tightly, and and of course, with Lautaro Martinez that he showed what he's made of because he was yeah. the well, of course, the, the, he he participated in the one of the goals in the I mean, scored one of them, and the other one was a delicious assist. To Augusto yeah, Solari, the former right the midfielder of River, uh, and we had we he was injured and we f- it's uh, funny how we forgot about him mm. because we didn't even mention him for well it's of course uh, not to mention him for 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 national team but San Paoli was following him and as after his injury we Martinez yes, Martinez yes. yeah. um, after his injury or. While he was injured, we, we we completely forgot about him because, of course, he wasn't playing and we we didn't even mention him. And now he, well, he was back and how how he was back? Indeed, yeah, he had a, an eye-catching start to the year as well because he was pretty much the only good thing that came out of Argentina's under-20 World Cup campaign, um, where he he carried the team through. Did they get through the group stage or did they? No, they they didn't. Uh, no, they went out in the last round, didn't yes. they, of the group stage? But it was thanks to basically his heroics that they were even still in with a chance um, up until that last point. Um, and then, yeah, he sort of he, he had a dip, and as you say, got injured, which is why he had that dip in the middle of the year. Um, and he's looking very strong now. We have had a listener's question about him later on, so we will be talking more about Lautaro Martinez. And the other, the other, perhaps a key member of the team. Not be, I don't know. I don't. Uh, Mean the, 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 in, to be there uh, in the starting lineup, but as a, a crucial member of the team like uh, Licha Lopez, Lisandro Lopez uh, had to leave the 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 the, the team uh, before before they they played against Boca because of the flu, I think, mm. or well, he was ill and had to leave. The, the con- they, they were concentrated. Or well, they were together before in the hotel before yeah. going to the to the stadium, and he had to leave because of that. And now we all we are all talking about Lautaro Martinez and not Lisandro Lopez. Yeah, uh, that is yes remarkable. Absolutely, and and I think you know Lautaro Martinez has surely has played himself into first team consideration now. You know because for a lot of the start mm-hmm. of Racing season, the the partnership up front in their four four two. Was Lisandro Lopez alongside Enrique Triverio, um, who are two, as Dan mentioned several times, they're two quite similar kinds of players. And Enrique Triverio looked like he was sort of struggling to adapt a bit to the demands of a big five club. Um, whether, you know, Triverio himself, in fact, was still fairly quiet as well on, on Sunday against Boca. Um, but the. the a very sensible option now to me seems to be, after the way that Martinez mm-hmm. played the other day, one of the big guys, Lopez or Triberio, alongside Martinez, to um, to act as the. I mean, he's almost he's a little more explosive and he's a little more willing to take a shot, but he's he's almost a sort of an old-fashioned number ten kind of player. I mean, the, the the assist that he laid on for Solari, as you say, it wasn't 
you know, spectacular Dennis Bergkamp 40 yards with a load of spin on it or anything, but it was just really nicely weighted and, and perfectly timed. But not only Beyond the, the his years, you yes. know, considering that you're looking at, I mean, yes. he's 19 years old or something, isn't he? Um, and not only he assists, because he, he waited for the defenders, and, and when it's, it was like watching two places at the same time. He was watching, of course, at the ball he had, the defenders, and also how Solari was... Ooh, the wind's coming in. Carry on, Andres. <laughs> and also, he watched Solari, or he saw Solari coming into the box, and, and well, uh, all, all, all what he did was perfect. Yeah, indeed. Um, so, congratulations to Racing. We will be discussing their next match in a short while. Anyway, sorry. Go on. Anyway, and, and like you said, that was particularly one save from Musso to um, Pablo Perez just when they watched the match was coming to an end uh, Perez had a shot from the very, edge of the box yes, uh, very was. near to the post shot and, and he was just with the great mm. reaction and Pablo Perez was like he was exhausted or well with some uh, pains and, and well the last thing he was going to do in the match was that to to, to uh, shot that uh, at that time and, and well Musso was barefoot Yes, indeed. Um, we will now move on to Racing's next opponent, because we'll be talking about Racing's next match um, yes. at some point in this podcast. For their next opponents are Independiente. It's the Clásico de Avellaneda this Saturday. Um, and Independiente are coming into this in sort of mixed form. If it was just in the league, we'd be saying they'd be very happy, because they beat River Plate 1-0, a goal from Nicolás Domingo, a former River player, and probably the one of the last former River players who you would expect to score against River, given that yes. he's a defensive midfielder. Um, but it was actually a really nice goal. I thought it was it was a nicely worked counter attack um, towards the end of the game, about eighty two minutes into what had been really not a particularly good match. I mean, it was sort of given the way that both of these teams like to play, I was expecting something a bit better. But I think Independiente had one. Um, that was a big one, wasn't it? Independiente had one eye on Tuesday night's Copa Sudamericana semi-final, obviously. And River are just in this kind of funk at the moment, where, or they were at least before Wednesday night, um, where they, they can't seem to, you know, nothing is seeming to click for them. I, I think that Independiente won that typical matches in which the one who scores a, go- a single goal wins that match, because uh, even River was a bit better, not, I think, deserving a win, but uh, not deserving a defeat also. Mm. And as as we mentioned the Benedetto serious injury, we have to mention another thing that left this weekend, which was a silly mistake from from looks. As we mentioned, the, the silly mistake from the yes. Nigerian goalkeeper, the Ape, well, the, yeah, yes, the Herman looks mistake, uh, not calculating very well uh, the the bones of the ball and grabbing it with the ha- with his hands uh, um, out of the box was just. Uh, uh, well, uh, I don't know if, if it's there is anything to, to, to add to that. Indeed, yeah. So he got sent off after 18 minutes. He was replaced by Enrique Bologna, who, interestingly, um, or perhaps not really that interestingly, because Lux was suspended, obviously, on Wednesday yes. night, having been sent off. Um, but Bologna continued in goal on Wednesday. And more interestingly, Bologna is expected to keep his place this coming weekend when Riva play... Oh, God, I've forgotten... Um, Newells. Thank you, Newells. 
Um, it looks like Herman Lux's days as River Plate's number one goalkeeper are numbered. Yes. Um, but there, there is an, an anything else, uh, something else that we have to to mention, which is why Batasha isn't the one uh, uh, playing there. And there are rumors, of course, and will still be rumors because there won't be any proof, and then he, uh, the, the, the ones that are involved won't uh, confirm this, of course, that uh, after River lost against Lanús with Lux in the goal, um, Batasha had a very bad uh, behavior in the, in the, in the restroom, uh, that saying that I play or I live, like something like that. Mm. Uh, something, and, and of course that uh, words were well received by, by Gallardo and the team. And uh, apparently that that is the reason why he, he isn't playing uh, right now. And and there are rumors that say that he will leave after the the end of the end of the year. Of course, well, uh, it's strange, uh, and we have to say this because. There is. There are no other reasons why he isn't uh, occupying the, the goal after Luke's suspension. And Natasha, who was uh, Bologna, who was the third goalkeeper, now is the, the the main one, the main goalkeeper. Of course, he he did well, a good, a good job uh, the other day against Independiente and last yeah. night against against Unión. But Juan Cortese, who is a TSE sports journalist, who uh, his his job is to cover River for TSE Sports tweeted last night an interesting statistic, I don't know whether you saw it of mm. all of the goalkeepers that Marcelo Gachardo has used in competitive matches in his time as River Plate manager and the their effectiveness in terms of the available points, and obviously in knockout games treating it the same way, you know, three points for a win, one for a draw, none for a loss um, the available points won by the team when that goalkeeper was in goal and the second least effective goalkeeper for River under Gachardo's reign was Marcelo Barrobero. Uh, the only guy less effective than him was some, I've forgotten who, but it was one who played about three or four matches. And the most effective of the ones who played double figures or more for matches was Augusto Batasha. Um, and obviously that a lot of people, you know, uh, Juan himself said, you know, obviously this doesn't take into account how big some of these matches are and a lot of people then proceeded to reply to him by tweeting exactly what he'd just written back at him in different words and thinking that they were arguing with him in some way uh, because that's what people on Twitter can well that's what people can be like full stop whether you've got Twitter or not um, but yeah it was interesting so I'm looking at it thinking ah oh, this is you know to actually Barrovero statistically speaking just purely on, on the stats Barrovero is the worst goalkeeper that Gachardo has had in his time at River um, and obviously that's not how the history books are going to record things, fortunately, yes. and I'm not saying that, that the history books are wrong for that. No, but from the point of view of Batasha, he has his reasons to be angry because he was uh, quit from the goal because uh, of the same mistakes he had made, mm. and now Lux is doing similar things. Yeah. So in, in the, if, I, if I were Batasha, I would be upset as, as well as him. Uh, he's a kid and he's... This has nothing to do with the quality of, or not of being a, go, a good or bad goalkeeper because if you could be, you, you you may be 40 years old and be a bad goalkeeper or 20 and be a, a great goalkeeper. Mm. But uh, as as he's uh, still a kid, uh, well, he he has his reasons to to feel upset, to be upset because well, he made the mistakes and and now looks he's doing similar things. 
Yeah, absolutely. It looks now, at any rate, like Bologna is going to, um, I guess, be the first choice goalkeeper until he starts doing stupid stuff as well. Uh, and it also looks like River are going to be looking quite hard for a new goalkeeper in January. Franco Armani has been mentioned. Marcelo Barrovero himself was mentioned until today when he, in a press conference, I think, said that he wouldn't be returning to River. He doesn't believe in, in going back um, to clubs that he's always he's already been at. Um and so, yeah, that, that seems unlikely, but Franco Armani, a name who's been mentioned with, you know, linked with River very heavily for the last couple of years, and also with Boca once or twice, and with the Argentine national team, and with the Colombian national team, because he is a naturalised Colombian now, he's been there for long enough to play for Colombia. Um, and particularly when you bear in mind the options that both Argentina and Colombia have got in goal, it is a bit weird to think that Armani doesn't seem to be, you know, rated by either of the national, of, of the, the managers in charge of those teams River um, has there we are. River has a particular uh, policy with this with the with the signings which is that they they look for a player and until he doesn't sign for River they don't give up and independently of the of the actual or the uh, the way they are playing right now because they they were looking for Silvio Romero I think for two or three years so far and yeah. now they, again his name is linked to River same for Lucas Prato, same for Fernando Muslera, the other goalkeeper that was mentioned. Mm. Uh, are, and they are, of course, heavy, heavy names, heavy uh, goalkeepers that have a name and uh, experience, and, and that is, it is, it's not easy to for them for them to come to River. Now, uh, Guzman, uh, Romero, the, the the national team goalkeepers, uh, and they they insist, they keep uh, trying to sign them. Uh, well, and they have instead of looking what how they are playing because perhaps they are I don't know where how how Armani is playing right now because yeah. he was great uh, in the 2015 uh, Libertadores for Nacional if I am not wrong and also last year as well when when they won yes. it but um, well now I don't know uh, because but yeah, you're quite right. we, we don't get the benefits of the Colombian yes. league being televised here and Atletico did very poorly indeed in their group stage in the Copa Libertadores yes. this year it wasn't necessarily Armani's fault but they just they weren't involved very long so yeah you're quite right we don't we don't know how they're playing uh, moving on though to Independiente their performance was another typical Independiente performance in that they were decent going forward but struggled to put chances away until obviously they did find that goal um, did you catch them on Tuesday night at all Andres? No I catch the, 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 that match against Independiente and then uh, you mean the Tuesday night the, the Independiente against Libertad or the yes ah, um, yes part of it and I think that well the the way they the, the match started with Libertad scoring at the before the oh, that's first right. minute they scored about thirty seconds in with, yes. yeah didn't they with, with a goal that was supposed to be offside or no it was a handball handball Taquara um, Cardoso the former news striker yes I just brought the statistics up on my phone and got quite an eyebrow raised it was uh, Independiente according to this had seventy four percent possession um, and yeah I guess that that's not too surprising when you bear in mind that as you say. They fell behind um, less than a minute in, and Oscar Caldoso got sent off with um, 17 minutes to go for Libertad, so they were playing the last quarter of an hour or so against 10 men, Independiente. Um, but yeah, it, it's been a mixed week for them, and it's one which we will just skip out of reviewing the weekend and skip towards previewing the Clásico de Avellaneda now. It, it, it's one which really is, is going to mean that Racing have got an excellent chance on Saturday of, of a derby victory, because... 
um, Ariel Olan, Independiente's manager, has said that the priority for the week is going to be the second leg of this Copa Sudamericana tie. They're at home next Tuesday um, to Libertad, attempting to overturn this deficit. They're going to field the kids or the reserves or a combination of kids and reserves against Racing. Um, even Racing, surely, can't cock this up, can they? they, they they've got to win. Yes. It, it doesn't. Of course, it's it's risky because um, you have to score at least one goal against Libertad and try not to lose against Racing. Because if you lose against Racing and then you can't uh, turn around the, the the that zero one that you got from the first leg, it would be all frustration and they they would say that Holland was a bad. Uh, well, they managed not very well this this weeks. Yeah. Ironically, um, it kind of reminds me of Diego Coca during his first spell at Racing when he said in the build-ups, the Avellaneda Clásico, I'd rather win the championship than the Clásico. And the fans yes. absolutely hated him for it until he won the championship. Yes. And you know, Ariel Olan hasn't quite said, I'd rather win the Sudamericana than the Clásico. Yes. But, you know, that, that's almost the implication of his words. And if Independiente do win the Sudamericana... I'm sure they'll forget yes. about the 4-0 thrashing the Racing. A great strategy, yes. <laughs> I'm not necessarily saying Racing are going to win 4-0 on Saturday. Yes. Um, we He's, shall see. But yes, Holland said that if, if this goes well, the, 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 the strategy of, of uh, playing with uh, kids or reserves against Racing and then playing with the, well, the main uh, team against uh, Libertad is it's okay or the results are, are good, yes, they will say that, they, that he's Napoleon. Yeah. Uh, the, the the nickname that Gallardo sometimes is called because of the strategies and the way he he uh, puts players in the in the matches and they, and they and they score goals or, or things like that and uh, uh, yes of course if the results are good uh, he will say they will say that he's a good strategist and if not they will say that he was it was all a mistake and of course like like always indeed. Um, the only one of the big five that we haven't mentioned from the weekend just yet is San Lorenzo. They got, as we already mentioned, a 3-1 win away to San Martín. One goal from Almero Fernández for the hosts, by which point they, um, San Lorenzo were already 2-0 up. So 2-1 well, up after that goal, obviously. Two goals from Nicolás Blandi, one from Paolo Díaz with a header from, I'm assuming, a corner, given that Paolo Díaz is, yes. is a defender. I didn't catch the match. Um, and by and large, the the consensus from what I've, I've read because as I said I didn't see the game seems to be that San Lorenzo played well yes yeah, they were effective and they, they they scored nice goals if, especially the, the first one with uh, with Blandi in a, in a match that uh, uh, made Romagnoli be in a, in a starting lineup since a long time ago mm. uh, I don't know when, when was the last time he was the in the, from the first minute but uh, he was there who's been replacing him I'm trying to remember because he's had well, his fitness issues and he's also just a bit old and not necessarily the yes, first choice anymore isn't he um, but yeah Ruben Botta maybe is he still in mm, Sonorenzo he no uh, Botta is uh, not playing either I should know this stuff shouldn't I but I don't so there we are um, anyway there we go. Oh, Fernando Bellucci, of course, who was oh. relegated to the bench for some reason. I, I knew it was there was somebody who I'd heard of there. Um, yeah, who was who was on the bench for some reason. And because anyway, of the tour with the national team, that could well be it, couldn't it? Yeah. Um, 
And yeah, so that's pretty much what you would expect from San Lorenzo um, beating San Martin. Elsewhere at the weekend, I'm trying to look now at who... Sorry, that win, though, for San Lorenzo means that they went second. They were second on goal difference ahead of Union until last night, and they remain second on goal difference ahead of Union, but now with the game in hand, of course, because Union lost 2-0 to Ribet. Um So, San Lorenzo, six points behind Boca. Boca, 24 points. San Lorenzo and Union, both on 18. Huracan joined Colón on 17 points. That came after Colón's 1-0 win over Argentinos and after Huracán's 1-0 win over Vélez in the final weekend uh, weekend of the match, the final match of the weekend, um, with a goal from Mauro Bogado. But there was also bad news in that one because Ramón Ávila got injured there as well. So, <laughs> in fact, Dario Benedetto isn't the only Boca Juniors centre-forward to have got injured over the course of the weekend because, of course, Ávila is currently at Huracán on loan um, from Boca and I'd, I'd forgotten about this until I mentioned it just now but you know when Benedetto got injured one or two voices slightly more rationally were saying you know rather than spending loads of money on a centre forward in January Boca will presumably recall Abila from his loan and I'm not sure what the nature of Abila's uh, injury was can you remember? I don't know if it was that serious uh, but well I think that by the end of the season or the the, the year he will be he will be back, but uh, in which case, Boca might well be recording him from that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to look at. Oh, 21 days out, three weeks. Yeah. He's out for. Uh, he's. He was he's mentioned. His right adductor. He was mentioned that he will uh, go um, uh, for Romero. The the other the the same that I mentioned for River. Silvio, Silvio Romero, Romero yeah. at America and Mexico. But uh, yes, now against Rosario Central, which now appears like a tricky game. Uh, because they, it is played in Rosario after Rosario won against uh, against Tacheres, uh, another uh, yeah. very, another tricky match. Uh, he will play with they will play with Bo. And I don't know his well. It will be a, 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 I think it will be critical for Boca to much. I think it, there is a much difference between Benedetto and Bo. Um, oh Bo, yeah, totally. Yes. Yeah. yeah, but Bo, Bo is a decent striker at this level but he's the kind of striker who's been coming on scoring I mean it seems like he seems to score the third goal in 4-0 wins quite a bit you know if you see what I mean rather than Benedetto who will open the scoring and then possibly add the second or third as well himself um, the other game as I said when I went through the scores which really stood out was um, Tigres 2-0 win over Estudiantes it came with a penalty from Matias Perez Garcia halfway through the first half and um, an own goal from Ivan Gomez um, about 20 minutes into the second half. But by and large, it, it was a pretty smart display of counter-attacking from Tigre. From what I saw, I saw the second half. Um, the stats for the whole game kind of backed me up. Estudiantes had two-thirds of the possession. Tigre had one-third of the possession. But Estudiantes managed two shots and Tigre managed seven. Um, so... I think it's fair to say that's a classic Caruso Lombardi performance when when it goes well for Caruso. I, I imagine that that seven uh, strike uh, seven shots were all long, longer or at least uh, from out of the box, not uh, with elaborated players. Place. Indeed, we shall see because we can actually bring up um, the coordinates on the pitch of those shots if we go onto the computer one with the TN uh, the the data factory stats. Um, they are. Give me a second, Gordinadas. 
Yeah, two from inside the well. One was the oh. penalty, obviously. One yeah. other one from inside the box, plus the own goal from inside the box, and yeah, three or four from 20, 25 yards out. And that penalty, if if it was really, uh, I think, uh, well, uh, very strange for for Melos to to award that penalty because mm-hmm. it was a, uh, I think, uh, Suki Fernando Suki, the former Cody Cruz and Boca a midfielder that uh, tried to clear the ball and it hit the, his hand very. Uh, uh, it was occasional. Oh yeah, I saw the replay of it. Yeah, it was, it was iffy. Yes, it was. It was generous, let's say. Um, but yeah, that's that's how Tigre managed to get. I think their first win of the season, if I remember correctly. Oh, hang on, I've got the league table there, haven't I? So of course I should be able to tell you whether it's their first win of the season. Uh, Tigre, yes, it was their first win of the season. Before that, they had five draws and three defeats. So well done, Tigre. Even if it does mean that Ricardo Caruso Lombardi gets to spend a few days pretending and he's actually a proper what do you football think manager. That, what do you think that Caruso Lombardi said that they were awarded an unfair penalty, or that he didn't say anything? I didn't hear what he said. Well, he didn't say anything because the penalty was in favor of Tigre. Uh huh. Of course. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if it had been given to yeah. Estudiantes, he would have been ranting and raving. You're quite right. Um, that's it. I think we should probably discuss, uh, given that we have talked already about Independiente's Sudamericana semi-final, the first leg of the Libertadores final between Gremio and Lanús last night. Um, it's not going to take long to discuss, and I think we will do it after um, this brief. Musical interlude, so don't go away. Break. Godoy Cruz have taken a 1-0 lead away to Beres Sarsfield, a diving header from Victorio Ramis at the far post. It has been somewhat against the run of play, it has to be said. Beres have um, dominated possession and have, have had more chances from what we've caught while we've been um, chatting. Um, there are about 15 minutes to go, so we'll see whether Godoy Cruz can, can uh, hang on for this. But, I mean, we were actually discussing, so we might as well discuss it briefly now the fact that Vélez have got a very 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 young team indeed um, Fabian Cubero is the only player really given uh, the injury to um, Mariano Pavone yes, has he gone back to Estudiantes yes he's not yes. there anymore is he yeah. so Fabian Cubero is, is basically the only player over the age of about 30 and he's about 37 or 38 and gets himself sent off all the time so he's not really the best player to be setting an example to these youngsters um, I just feel like you know every club sort of needs to have a decent youth system or well no, okay not every club needs to have a decent youth system but a lot of clubs like to have a decent youth system and it, it's a good model for a club to have but when you try and do what Belles are doing at the moment which is to bring through basically an entire squad who are all under the age of about 23 um, all at once something gets lost you need a sort of blend of experience and I can't see them getting back into this given the lack of experience and the mental characteristics that they've shown normal, so far this season. A normal reserves team for another another club will have these players yeah. in their reserves, not in their first team. Um, I mean, Maxi Romero is a fantastic talent up front. He's a name that you should remember for the future. Um, he really does look like a live wire. He's about 18 years old. And he basically is Venice's attack at the moment. And the rest of the team 
are sort of kids who are around his age, a few years older maybe, and nowhere near as good. Um, and will probably be proved idiots. They'll probably be they'll, they'll score three goals in the next fifteen minutes, thirteen minutes now plus stoppage time, um, and make us look like fools. But you know, I t- over the course of the season, I'm reasonably confident that Venice are going to finish somewhere around where they are at the moment, if not lower. Where they are at the moment is twenty first out of twenty eight teams. Anyway, Copa Libertadores final first leg, Andres. It was really boring, wasn't it? I, w- I saw something very, very similar to the first leg of the River against Lanús uh, semi-finals. I, I, I thought, to give Lanús credit, they attacked a lot more than they did against River. In the first half, not um, in the second one. I was just really surprised. By, I mean, Gremio, uh, in the first leg of the semi-final, particularly, and, and prior to that in the quarters, Gremio showed themselves to be a team who had... A nice change of pace in attack. They attack with width. They attacked in numbers. And some imagination. And Luan obviously has, has been arguably the attacking player of the tournament. Um, Marcelo Groy has certainly been yes. the goalkeeper of the tournament for, for Gremio. Yes. And last night they were just so ponderous. They were just passing and passing and passing around sort of 30 yards away from Lanusa's goal. And there was no danger at any point of yes. that somebody might try to play a ball into the box I watched well in the first half of course there were two clear options for Lanús hmm. both uh, saved by Groy the, the great goalkeeper I think one, he's one clearly one of the best players of the Copa Libertadores I remember another magnificent save against Barcelona in the quarterfinal in yeah. the semi-finals save of the year worldwide yes. possibly um, and the last night he did something similar with a header from from Bragueri mm. and a, a shot from Roman Martinez. I think it was out of the box, but it was dangerous anyway. <clears throat> but after that, after the well, in the second half, Gremio wasn't deep in their attacks, but Lanús was too defensive. Of course, well, uh, they they I think that. Uh, the goal scored by Gremio was more a, a, a casualty than something that they were uh, deserving. And, and it was quite funny, I thought, because yes. Gremio spent so much of the match, as I say, sort of passing it around rather aimlessly. The, the stereotype of early two thousands Arsenal for those who who watch a lot of Premier League football, um, lots of tippy tappy and, and no through ball into the box whatsoever. Um, and then eventually they got the goal in, in the 88th or 89th minute with basically a lump forward from halfway, a header down in the box, and a tap past the goalkeeper. It, it was you know just route one. More coincidence that uh, something uh, yeah. wasn't a play very... Uh, that you say, yes, they played this way and they, and they uh, uh, reserved the goal. And, and, and Well, it was, a, 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 I think, also a, a, a fail from... From Andrada, who couldn't save a, a very, uh, I know how to say it. When the the player doesn't, uh, he didn't shoot it clearly. It was like a. It's a bit of a scuff. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that given the quality that we know that Lanús have, especially after the second leg, we both know that Lanús have got that quality, um, and the character that they showed, um, and also just how sort of how much Gremio seem to have gone off the boil since since the first leg of the semi-final because as we mentioned at the time the second leg of the semi-final they were rather disappointing they lost the second leg 1-0 at home to Barcelona after beating them 3-0 in the first leg um, given you know both of those factors I think Lanús have got to be optimistic that they can turn this around in the second leg I think the only the only thing that could be a handicap for them is the 
nervous or the pressure of, of playing their first ever Copa Libertadores final and they, they even um, playing it uh, the second level I mean uh, finishing the Copa uh, as a home, in the home condition which uh, we tell the people uh, of course it is in favor of them but at the same time as always could be pressure but then I also wonder having talked just now about Vélez's lack of of psychological strength and of, of experience. Lanús have got a group yes, yes, um, which consists of, of Jorge Almiron, the manager, Jose Sand, Matias Velasquez, and one of the midfielders who I can't remember. Oh, uh, sorry, Diego Bragieri, the defender yes. as well. Um, all of whom were there when they won their first ever league championship in 2007. All of whom were also at the club um, in what year was it? 2015? No, Boca won it in 20, 2014? No. 2016 when they won the league again just recently yeah last year last year wasn't it yes Yes, of course yeah bloody hell yeah the transitional championship um, last year it gets very confusing when they've changed the season around so many times I can't remember who won what when Um, they finally they played River in the Supercoppa at the beginning of this year didn't they so yeah it was last year's transitional championship Um, you know the the fact that these guys have have got massive amounts of experience and uh, have all been involved in historic matches already for the club I think maybe it's going to help them to through that I'm not necessarily saying I make Lanús clear favourites given that they're 1-0 down from the first leg um, but I think that they're, they're going to be optimistic and I think that although it was quite a dull game in the first leg tetchy I think would be the word um, I'm optimistic of a more interesting second leg just you, we mentioned Vélez as, as having in their, in their team a lot of kids and in the case of Lanús it's just the other way they have experienced players that have played a lot of matches and it's not a, a real problem to be in their first ever final of Copa Libertadores but in fact for Lanús it is their first ever final yeah. uh, of course Sand, I think he has 36 years Omar Martinez Acosta, Braggeri, Velázquez, uh, they have, yes, a lot of players that have, uh, I think it's a, a great balance of players that aren't so old and the, the others that have a big yeah, exactly. great experience, but they have a short team, they don't have very uh, substitutes, that they have the same, perhaps, uh, no. a touch than the, 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 the ones that play normally. Well, and Bargeri won't that. be able, to, won't be available for the second leg because he was injured. He was uh, uh, yeah. booked, and he had already two. As was, same as Kahneman. As was Walter Kahneman in yes. um, the the Argentine centre back who plays for Gremio, uh, rather debatably booked, but he was yeah. booked, and that means that he's going to miss the and second. And Bargeri same same because the same because it w- it looked like the as if as if the referee Bascuñan, the Chilean uh, referee, uh, looked for the bar and he didn't. He just the video assistant referee. Yes, yes. he just uh, was three or four minutes, and he booked Brageria. We we don't know why. Well, no, no one knows why. Yeah, because the, the, the his foul, the foul he committed, he made was for a, a yellow card. But uh, it it looked like he if he weren't wasn't going to. Yeah, it didn't look yeah. as if that was what he was being booked for. It was it was a pretty strange situation yes uh, the second leg of that tie is next Wednesday so again we'll be recording next week on Thursday again I assume uh, if you can make it under SO you can um, so we will be back I th- I think Lanus are going to do it um, 
Gremio really haven't impressed me, as I said. Either no. in the second leg of the semi. Admittedly, the second leg of the semi, they were 3-0 up and at home and they could afford to just sort of hold Barcelona at arm's length. But even so, but, uh, and I last think that, night, I thought... I think just, that at that point, of course, it was a very uh, awful game from them. But they had that advantage. In this case, it's different because they won. They had only, yeah. goal, only one goal up and I think they will try to... They, they play the same way that Racing played Boca on Sunday to try to make it post uh, to co- make it cold to yeah. a rocky play but I, I do just I mean also from from an acquaintance who watches much more of the Brazilian league than I do um, and, and has seen more of Gremio's Libertadores campaign as a whole than we have uh, and he's of the opinion that Canemel and Jerome in, in the, the centre-back partnership are sort of they have been the base on which Gremio's defence has, has been and the fact that Kahneman is suspended for that second leg I think is going to be huge obviously the fact that Brachieri is suspended for Lanus just looking at the substitutes I would guess that Herrera, it's going to be Herrera who yes. comes in for him um, it, it, that, that's going to be a blow for Lanus as well but Groy is going to have to have another brilliant game potentially because Lanus are going to come out I think early yes. on um, yes and of course Lanus will and will, with the will belief start. that they've done it once yes. You know, from from further behind yes. um, in the semi final, and indeed against San Lorenzo in the quarter final as well. So, yes, um, it, it should be interesting. Hopefully, it'll be better than the first leg because, as I say, the first leg was. Yes, not as, as I say, I, I watched similar characteristics of this game to the one they they lost against River, and apart from that, because of the of the late goal, and it was one nil, mm. and uh, yeah. Of course, they will try not to be too, too nil uh, down uh, like in the semi-finals in this time, uh, so that they have to score three. In this time, this time there won't be any away goals rule. Yeah. But uh, yes, I think they will try not to be two two goals down again. Indeed, <laughs> yes. You never want to fall two nil down, um, but uh, if you can, then you may as well try to be Lanús to come yes. back into it. Um, we'll move on to listeners' questions. Lucas Carreras says, um, I've just heard the latest on the pod episode. He tweeted this to us last week. You're correct with Bursaco stating what he did. It's safe to say that he cut a deal with federal authorities rather than New York State because this is a Justice Department case. Thank you for that, Lucas. You'll remember, of course, that I discussed this last week and, and asked any qualified lawyers who had an opinion on this and whether, particularly whether I've got the plea deal thing right um, to... Uh, to let me know. I also had an email. I forgot to ask this person whether I could quote them or not, so I'm going to do so anonymously. Um, he says, Hi, Sam and Andres. I was just listening to episode 273. Congratulations on seven years. Thank you very much. Um, while you were talking, uh, where you were talking about Borsaco and his testimony in New York and asked that people verify what you and Andres were discussing about his plea deal. So in case you haven't already got responses, I'll throw in my two cents. You were pretty much correct. Borsaco was arrested in June 2015, pled guilty on November the 16th, 2015, and is due to be sentenced on May the 22nd, 2018. In pleading guilty, he did in fact enter into a plea bargain agreement with the state, but the details of that plea bargain agreement have not been made public. A word generally on plea bargains, he adds. As you both mentioned, the value of a plea bargain for the accused is to either, one, be charged with lesser crimes, or two, have the prosecution recommend a more lenient sentence. The judge has the option to accept or deny the plea bargain. They will usually accept unless it's somehow very unfair. And the judge also has the right to ignore the recommendation of a more lenient sentence. Either way, cooperation by the defendant, in this case Borsaco, is absolutely required. If Borsaco fails to cooperate, 
to the reasonable satisfaction of the prosecution and the court, he can lose the agreement and face the full spectrum of charges and the full range of punishment. This person adds, based on conversations with prosecutors I know, if a defendant backs out of a plea deal, the prosecution goes into all-out war and calls for the maximum on everything. This is anecdotal, so take it with a grain of salt. It may just be because I live in a state where the fetishising of the rule of law is strong and merciless prosecutions have a good amount of support. He says, this would absolutely be the case if Borsako was found to be lying in his testimony. So, in other words, it's probably safe to assume that what Borsako was saying was true. And at that point, he, he not only loses the deal and faces the full prosecution for the original crimes, but he also faces the additional charge of perjury, which is a felony and can land you in jail for up to five years. Rest assured, on top of the, the other sentence, of course, rest assured the court takes all this very seriously, and if perjury is enough to almost get Clinton impeached, it's certainly enough to get some asshole like Bosako thrown in jail for a few extra years. I have, of course, anglicised asshole to asshole yes. there, because that's what I do when I'm talking. As of the last I saw in April of last year, there was a request that the plea bargain details be made public, but that request was denied by the judge at the time, and as of this week, I haven't seen any new updates on the matter. What is public information is that Borsako has pled guilty to racketeering conspiracy, wire fraud conspiracy and money laundering conspiracy, but we don't know what prosecutors will or will not pursue or what kind of recommendations the prosecution will make during sentencing. Last paragraph, I promise. For comparison's sake, you can look at Chuck Blazer's criminal situation and his plea bargain that was made public. Under the agreement, Blazer would plead guilty to 10 charges of racketeering conspiracy, mail fraud conspiracy, money laundering conspiracy and tax evasion for $11 million in unreported income. In return, prosecutors agreed not to pursue charges in connection with Blazer's admission that he took and helped arrange bribes leading to the selection of World Cup host countries for the 1998 and 2010 World Cups and that the prosecution would not would recommend a reduction in sentencing. Of course, Blazer's sense of timing is as good as Grondona's in that Blazer died before he was sentenced to anything, so it's hard to say if the court would have taken the recommendation or how harsh the court were feeling in regards to all this FIFA mess. Thank you very much, unnamed correspondent. Um, and now we shall move on to our listeners' comments and questions for this week. Uh, Des Corkill says happy 7th anniversary enjoy your meanderings around the world of Argentine football thank you very much Des he adds Mr Pitana was referee for World Cup qualifier between Australia and Honduras he was indeed yeah, he put in a, a couple of interesting um, decisions as well Honduras were not impressed um, uh, Yusuf Amin who was in the predict off with me last week and is back to do the same this week because nobody else volunteered um, says special mention for by far and away the best football pod in my opinion hand of pod thank you very much Yusuf um, Will Clunas says oh no that was just a recommendation for us last week thank you for recommending us Will Carlos Palacios asked four days ago but I think it's meant for this episode if Marquesin is that bad with Argentina why hasn't Barovero been given a chance he has won way more at club level with Vélez and River and against Barcelona in the World Club Cup final Despite the loss, he was very good. No, he. I think that was a question for the last, uh, for the last, uh, pre- the previous episode because we were uh, reviewing the, no, the matches from from the national team. But he asked um, it on the nineteenth, which was Sunday. Oh, well, but I. I Let's I, answer it now, anyway. Well, I thought that he had treated that before because hmm. we we talked about Marquezine and his mistakes, and we and did. Um, but anyway, I, yeah. Why isn't Barrow better given a chance? I think that it does has to do with his form, his physical form. That uh, uh, very frequently he was ne- uh, called as he were like uh, an, an office job uh, or, or worker, and 
because of his physical form and and that he's I, I don't know is small but not so big to to for the for the goal of the national team. Yeah, I, I, I think I also, this because of that because I also wonder whether there's a degree to which um, I mean he, he's he's a shot stopper essentially Barrowero. I think this is probably not coincidental with. Um, the the stat that I mentioned earlier that surprisingly he's actually of of all of the ones who are into double figures under Marcelo Gachardo's reign he's actually the worst goalkeeper that, that River have had in that spell um, but you know he, he's not somebody who's going to organise the defence um, tremendously and he's going to come out to claim crosses and completely dominate his area um, in the same way that some of these other goalkeepers are um, so it could be a style thing as much as anything else um, maybe but you know it's only speculation um, Yusef asks, "How good do you think Fabricio Bustos can be?" Yes, I'd Could like be. to see him in the national team. I'd, I'd like to see him get called up and not get injured just once. Um, he's only, let me see, nineteen, something like that. Young, right? Yeah. I hope he's young because I'm going to Google him now, and if he isn't, then I'm going to be embarrassed. Fabricio Bustos is. As the wind rattles in the window, twenty-one years old. Okay, yeah, oh. that, that's that's young. Fortunately, it's, it's young enough to not embarrass me for saying he's only young. Um, yeah, he can be very good. Good engine on him. Decent sense of positioning. Um, and playing for a team who are going to encourage him to be an attacking uh, right back right now. Of course, Independiente. In case uh, anybody doesn't know. Um, Tom Robinson says, with Caniman impressing in Gremio's Libertadores run, do you think he should be given a chance for the national team? Ooh, that's an interesting call. Yeah, maybe. They're shorter defenders, so yeah, why yes. not? If if it weren't for the fact that they've got two friendlies now before yes. the World Cup squad gets announced, but I so. I think that somebody will stick with the ones we he has already has already been calling up, and we have a, another another defender that uh, not right now, but had has been, have been already called up like Musacchio. Well, uh, I think that it's difficult for Kahneman to be called up in 2018 when he has never. Been called up even when we having a, a great performance at Gremio. Like, yeah. I, I I particularly don't think he will be called up anyway. He has been doing a good job and, and he could perfectly be there. But uh, if I if I must uh, what I believe, I don't think he will will be. Yeah, I'd be inclined to agree. Um, Yusef also asks, where do you see Lautaro Martinez ending up? Having linked with. Borussia Dortmund from he Germany, has. but he has already said, and he said again, that he will stay at Racing to play Copa Libertadores, but he has a very slow release clause. I think it's 9 million, which is quite slow, quite low. Uh, Dollars? Uh, I don't know if dollars or euros, but anyway, it's, uh-huh. I think it's, it's, it's a very low clause according to his uh, performance. But I think it, it is related to his first ever contract as uh, two years ago. We didn't even knew about him. Indeed. Um, so we'll see. But yeah, Dortmund have certainly been linked. They've been watching him for some time, apparently. I was just informed this, of this on Twitter, on my own Twitter, um, a couple of hours ago. So yeah, maybe there. But he's, he's going to be one to watch and it'll be interesting to see how he develops in the next couple of years particularly if he is indeed going to stay at Racing for the duration of their Libertadores campaign next year um, 66 Estrellas says if you're recording I guess it will rain today uh, yeah 
very possibly. It's not doing still at the moment. I don't think it's just very windy. Um, but yeah, tonight um, it might very well. And then he asks, what are your expectations for the Clásico de Avellaneda? As I've said, I think it's going to be a racing win, given that Independiente putting out the kids. And probably at least one red card. Yes. Uh, racing, of course, are our favourites after the, the, the uh, important win against Boca. And apparently Boca will, of course, put similar team or the same team. So 9.30 kickoff on Saturday, by the way. I'm sure the security late, forces are delighted late. about that decision. Yes. Um, and yeah. That means after midnight in the UK and one after one thirty. Yes, it'll be it'll be twelve thirty in in the UK and one thirty a.m. Um, for everybody in central and most of Western Europe. Um, Jared Hughes says, "How can Pastore can never get a game with Argentina? He's had his chances." I mean, under Sam, I, I get that you know, Jared is obviously asking about how come he can never get a game un, under Sam Pauli. Um, he's had his chances under previous managers, and I, for me, he's never really looked. I mean, he's, he's, he's often he's not looked dreadful, but he's never really sort of shown it. Yes, this, he couldn't release all his uh, or take all of his quality to the, to the national team. He has, but well, now it's uh, there is. Um, Lochelso there with his mm. teammate of Pastor in, in PSG, but yes, it's uh, for one one cause, cause or another reason or another he he never could uh, he will never uh, show what he's capable of. Yeah, um, Yusuf Amin is back with one more question. He says one last question. What are your thoughts on Brian Aleman from Gimnasia? I was watching their game against Patronato and he was arguably man of the match. He created a beautiful goal and his quality really stood out. He's got a wand of a left foot. Do you see him going to Europe? My answer to that, the actual question there is no. Um, he's 28 next month. I looked him up as soon as I saw Yusef's uh, question. He, he played for Paraguay, right? Uh, he, he played for uh, Barcelona in Ecuador. Yes. And yeah, possibly. Olympia, he is Uruguayan. Yes. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's, he's decent at South American club level. Um, but you know I mean you say yeah obviously he, he stood out but he's standing out against Patronato so it's not like this is somebody who's um, necessarily going to be he doesn't show that very continuous no uh, continuous. and again at, at the age of almost 28 as well so I would say no he's not going to go to Europe uh, he's he's a decent player yes um, if a, uh, a middling to big Argentine club signed him it wouldn't be a bad signing but if he has highs and Manchester knows. United, the club I yeah. support in England, signed him, I would think, what the fuck are you doing? Why is this happening? This, this is an enormous waste of money, regardless of how much money has been spent. Um, Barry Byrne says, with no away goal rule, will Lanús go straight on the attack from the start in the second leg of the Copa Libertadores final? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. clearly they will try to eat Gremio up, of course. Yeah, um, I think that they will do in a controlled and patient manner knowing that they don't have to go absolutely mental because they are only one down but, but yes being crazy and going to attack they could, that could uh, be as uh, as we say here un arma doble filo like uh, the other uh, the other way around uh, as in a counter attack Grammy could hurt them and it's only one goal so they have 90 minutes to score of course one goal means going to to the uh, they, there is a, another thirty minutes in this time. In this, no, I think uh, it goes straight to penalties. Same, to penalties. As the, same as the rest well, of it. 
they have uh, 90 minutes to score at least one to go to penalties. So um, I don't think even though that he they might they, they have to score, so they will have to attack uh, to be to crazily to, to attack. I think that is not convenient. Also, yeah, I'd agree. Uh, but Bundy asks any update on selling international television rights. The answer to that is no. They don't get reported here, and Tese or, or Torneos. Have, or TSC have, have still got the rights until like 2037 or something so stupid what, like that what was the question? the international TV rights for the Superliga oh. um, yeah the answer is no and, and I mean you guys will probably hear about that before we do because that stuff the, the international the, television just doesn't get reported here even though you are talking of course about the Superliga yes. I get that but, uh, and even, even when this has nothing to do with international rights I read the other day that Clarín the group Clarín group the one Controls mainly torneos y competencias yeah. have uh, made a presentation to the to the to the law to try. Uh, uh, there is a, a channel from Luján that broadcasts the the matches from Fla Flandria that is I think in National B uh, and it's from Luján and uh -huh. there is a channel from there a local channel that they they broadcast the matches because if not the Flan Flandria supporters aren't able they can't uh, watch the games and the Clarín group are trying for them not to do it uh, because uh, they of course they are like violating the law or something like that and so <laughs> it's crazy because uh, every day we will have less rights uh, than we have now because mm. these things are uh, there is a, a very a very small channel that allows people from uh, from a small town to follow the, the team that they uh, is from there, from their, from their town, and, and Clarín doesn't want this to, to happen. Indeed. Uh, we are now going to finish the episode by, as usual, um, <coughs> going through our mystical predictions, or my mystical predictions, for the weekend, and also Mystic Yusef's, who last weekend beat me 4-3. It was very low scoring. I think he tweeted me seven games in. Uh, into the weekend and pointed out that neither of us had got a single one right at that point and this must be some kind of record and I think it probably is um, nobody volunteered to, uh, to to take me on this week and Yusuf said that he would if nobody else would so he's back and I get the chance to go for some revenge so after this music you will hear what Yusuf thinks is going to happen this weekend and also what I'm going to hear uh, what I think is going to happen this weekend in the 13 matches that will be played this weekend because Lanusa's game is um, well, is, is postponed obviously because they're in the yes. Copa Libertadores semi uh, final. In the Copa Libertadores final, I'll say that again. Um, and um, the AFA have have this rule that allows teams involved in continental finals to postpone the game in between the two legs of that, which is a good idea. Anyway, don't go away. Okay, here are the predictions. Um, Yusuf is going for Banfield to beat Defensa y Justicia in Banfield, and I'm going for the same thing. For Chacarita versus Huracan, Yusuf says it's going to be an Huracan win. I'm going for a draw. For Colón versus Tigre, Yusuf says Colón win, and I'm going for the same thing. In fact, Belgrano versus Gimnasia. Uh, Yusuf's going Gimnasia. I'm going for a draw in Cordoba. Patronato 
versus Union de Santa Fe. Yusuf's going for Union, and I'm going for also for Union. Um, San Lorenzo against Argentinos. We're both going for San Lorenzo victories in that one. Racing versus Independiente. We are both going for a Racing win. Obviously, I am. I've already told you that because I, I mentioned it earlier on. Uh, River versus Newell's Old Boys. Yusuf's going for a draw. I think River will get a win. Rosario Central against Boca Juniors. Yusuf is going for a second consecutive defeat for Boca. I'm going for a win for Boca in that one. Arsenal versus Tacheres. We are both obviously going for Tacheres wins because neither of us are idiots. Vélez against Olimpo. Yusuf says Vélez. I say draw. And Tempele versus San Martín de San Juan. Yusuf says San Martín and I'm saying draw. Standout fixtures for this weekend, Andres? Apart from the Clásico de Avellaneda, well, obviously. Well, I think Rosario Central Boca will be more important than it will have with Benedetto there. Without mm. Benedetto, it will be more important, I mean, for Boca to know whether they are they could uh, be aggressive without a quarter main striker. So it will be important, or at least uh, crucial, to see that. Uh, and it will be, of course, harder because of that for them. Rosario Central have won against Tacheres, and now perhaps this uh, kind of, well, trying to uh, be uh, similar, <laughs> be something like a team again, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, with no Paolo Montero, but as, as always, with a team, when a team, when a, when a manager is, or a coach is sucked, the, the players are again with uh, uh, with uh, willing to dem- to demonstrate and to show to the new one to a new coach whether they are capable to win or not. Indeed, there, there were some whispers that Leonardo Fernandez might be given the job on a permanent basis this time. He was also the caretaker when Eduardo Codet um, left the club before Montero was appointed, um, and so perhaps that you know that's helping him to to gain some trust among the players. Uh, he he's otherwise the reserve manager, by the way. Um, but yeah, we'll see what happens. I, I agree, it's going to be an interesting game. That one is going to take place. And Cardona, Cardona is back uh, with Bo. Cardona, well, we will see whether he, he, the way he behaves because uh, we remember we we mentioned the other the other day the stupid thing he did against uh, Korea. Um, that. Uh, oh yes, uh, the yes. racist um, gesture. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, that game central against Boca is, is the 9:30 kickoff on Sunday, which is quite annoying because I really don't like watching those 9:30 kickoffs. But I suppose they have to put teams on, particularly at the weekend matches that, that people are, are going to watch. Uh, otherwise, it's it's not going to get an audience at all. Um, vaguely annoying, but well, I suppose it's yes. nice to not have to watch football until 5 I, p.m. I, I think it's because of the of the temperature. But <laughs> yeah. what is the, the the difference between playing at eight or playing 9:30? Uh, I agree. Um, well, the, the first game has to kick off at 5, so you have the second game at, at 7 or 7.15. Voilà. And, yes. um, yeah, I guess that all helps to... But, I mean, they could have the second game kick off at 7 and the last game kick off at 9. At least that's half an hour earlier. Yes. Not much, but who knows. Anyway, um, that was episode 274 of Hand of Pod. I'm going to expedite production and try and get it online tonight, given that we're recording later in the week than normal. So, hopefully, the first of you will be listening to this um, on Friday morning, if you're commuting in um, to work in the United Kingdom or Europe two different places these days of course or gearing up to be um, 
I will say goodbye and good luck and join us again next week. Please tell your friends and please, if you have any suggestions for sporting podcast networks who might get, um, who might be amenable to uh, getting us involved in them um, in order to get us more listeners and whatnot, let me know. If, if you run one, then definitely let me know. Um, this is uh, Andres Bruckner. Ah, sorry, uh, sorry yeah. thank you and goodbye. I, <laughs> he, he was watching the highlights. You're, you normally say uh, thank you, goodbye. For I do. Yeah, I thought I'd mix things up a bit, and yeah. uh, I, I was um, I didn't realise that you were looking at the television. Uh, Godoy Cruz have beaten Southfield one 0 By the way, uh, that game's over now. And I'm Sam Kelly. Thank you and goodbye. Mm-hmm.